John chapter 21, 15 through 17. We will study through these. We'll end our time of worship in communion and give praise to the Lord. The Bible says this, John 21, 15. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my lambs. And he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, shepherd my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. You may be seated. Father in heaven, we have sung of your grace, your protection this morning. What a great passage to sum up what we've sang. This passage not only shows Peter's failures, but it shows our failures at times. But what comes shining through is the grace of God the grace of our Lord and Savior who restores the fallen, who restores those who had good intentions but did not rely on God. Father, I don't think there's a man or woman in this room, Lord, that this passage doesn't apply to. And we would pray, Lord, tonight, this morning, that you would pierce our hearts, that you would give us understanding of this text, Lord. Lord, we cannot, we cannot be just hearers only. It's dangerous, Lord, for us to be hearers only. Must be doers, receivers of the text, applying the text to our lives, Lord. So we pray this morning that you would grip us in such a way that our love for you would grow this morning. Where it is weak, it would be strengthened. Whereas lacking it would be supplied. Where it has failed, it will be restored. We thank you for this this morning. Ahead of time, Lord, for knowing that your word does not return void. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me start with a confession this morning. Um, As I entered into chapter 21 of John, knowing it was the last chapter of the book, and then summing up the book in at the end of 20, like we did in verse 30 and 31, I, I really looked at John 20 as just a joy of a passage to teach. I had, have taught it many other times. And I somewhat relaxed, thinking, okay, I know this text. We can teach this. This is a great conclusion. But I confess to you that it's a tough passage. It is 
it'll grind at your soul a little bit. In fact, I think what it does so well is it replaces Simon Peter with us, if you're willing. If you're willing to let the text speak to you, if you're willing to let the text allow you to be in this, it is a challenge. We were challenged last week by the aspect that we are so easily tempted to fall back on with what we are comfortable. It's easy for us to just say, I know I can do this, so this is what I'm gonna go do. It's a neglect of the sovereignty of God. It's a neglect of the trust in him. And we tend to do that, don't we? We tend to worship him greatly on Sunday, but on Monday somehow he is not the centerpiece of our lives at times. But Jesus knows that. He knows that about you and I. And he knew that about Peter. So as we work through this this morning, I pray that like you, like me, there's a little bit of um, understanding that this is us. This isn't just the Apostle Peter. The word of God is not just put here for facts so we can know more about Peter. The word of God is for us. The text is about loving God. That's what the text is about. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? It's a, it's a breaking point. Are you going to love me and serve me and do what I ask you to do? Or are you going to love what you love? Which is it? So it is a gripping text. It, it makes us think. Yet it's not new to the scriptures. It's not new to the scriptures to love God. This is actually one of the themes that we find throughout the Bible. And here is a way of introduction. I want to just quote some verses to you from Old Testament New. You may want to jot these down. This is purely verses that how God has always expected his redeemed, his saved people to love him. So I can just, I'm going to give you a list of verses because I want you to understand this is not out of the ordinary. This is how the word of God speaks. And if you want a, a lot of verses on, on loving God, I'm going to give them to you right now. So you may want to jot them down for help to go back and look later. Right off the bat, the summing, summing up of the law, Moses writes this in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is your God, or is our God, your Bible might say. The Lord is one. And then it says this, Moses sums up everything. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I command you today shall be on your heart. This is the summing up of all of the law that Moses writes to the nation of Israel before they go into the land of Canaan, he says that you shall love your God. It is a command right from God himself. I want your love. That's what I want from you. All the other things will come along if you love me, if you put me in the right position, all these other things will come. Joshua chapter 22 verse 5 Joshua is one of my favorite Old Testament characters. We now at the end of his life, he is beginning to 
Uh, the Bible's recording a, a sermon that he gives to the nation of Israel. Joshua chapter 22, verse five says this, only be careful to observe the commandments of the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. And then he says this, to love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and keep his commandments and hold fast to him and serve him with your heart and with your soul. He repeats the commandment that Moses gave. Love the Lord your God. Chapter 23, the sermon continues. He says this in verse 11, Joshua 23, 11, so take diligent heed to yourself to love the Lord your God. Take diligent heed. This is something that you have to put effort towards, Joshua says. And why? Because we love ourselves so much. And it takes work. And he's speaking to a nation much as the scriptures are speaking to a church this morning. Take heed to yourselves to love the Lord your God. Joshua doesn't know what's gonna happen to the nation, so he says in Joshua 24, 15, he says, but as for me and my house, we're gonna serve him. We're gonna serve the Lord. I don't know what the rest of the world's gonna do. I don't know what the rest of the church is gonna do. But as for me and my house, we're going to love him. We're going to serve him. Daniel chapter 9, verse 4. Daniel is in captivity. He is serving God in the kingdoms of the leaders of the world. God has raised him up as a, as a representative of God in those kingdoms. He is giving counsel to the, to the world leaders and Daniel says this in Daniel 9, 4, O Lord, the great and awesome God. That's a phrase that gets repeated in the Old Testament. The great and awesome God who keeps his covenant when nobody else does is between the line there and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. O great and awesome God for those who love him. Nehemiah chapter one, he was following Daniel's footsteps. He was part of that 50,000 Jews that were released to go back and build the temple and build the walls again and restore Israel, Jerusalem particularly. And Nehemiah says almost the same thing. In Nehemiah 1.5, I beseech you, O Lord of God of heavens, the great and awesome God who preserves the covenants and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandment for those who love him. David in Psalms 31, 23 says this, and David says this over and over throughout the Psalms. He says, oh, love the Lord, all you his godly ones. Oh, love the Lord, all you his godly ones. I love that verse. Love the Lord. It's one of the most simple counseling techniques we use. You come in to the office and you're struggling with something. The, one of the main things that we're working on is helping you love the Lord. That's why we have the struggles we have, all of us. is because we love something greater for even a short time than we love the Lord. This theme carries out throughout the New Testament. That great um, commandment given in Deuteronomy 6 is repeated by Jesus himself, Matthew 23, 37. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. He was asked, what is the greatest commandment? That's it. 
That's what we're headed for. This is what, why, why we worship and study. We want to love the Lord more. We want to love him with everything we have. That's why we preach and sing and bend the knee to him. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 10 says this, speaking of the role of the Spirit in our life, says this, things which the eye has not seen, the ear has not heard, and which have not entered in the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us, God revealed them through his Spirit. See, all of these things that you now see, so many people say, you know, I never saw that before. I hear this all the time. Pastor, I never saw that before. I've never heard that kind of preaching or that kind of singing before. Or I've never read that before and understood that before. See, that's the work of the Spirit in a person's life who loves the Lord. And it's part of the work that God does continually in our life to bring us to love the Lord. 1 Corinthians 6.22 was more of a rebuke about love. He says this, If anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed. It's a word for anathemed. Let me read that again. If anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed. It's, it's who we are. We're lovers of Christ. That's what he saved you for, to love him, to experience him, to know him. But there are many who claim the name but don't love him. First, Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 through 15, for the love of Christ compels us or controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all and therefore all died, and he died for all so that they might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. There's a love of Christ that compels us is the idea. It, it captures us, it controls us, it, it grips the believer. This love of Christ is now in our life and it compels us to live for the one who died for us. It's the mark of a Christian. Ephesians chapter 6, 24, the last verse in the book of Ephesians closes this way. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an incorruptible love. I have to confess to you, I forgot about that verse. I came across it this week and I said, let me read this several times, Lord. You end a, a great epistle like Ephesians, great doctrinal, practical epistle, and you say this, grace be with all those who love our Lord, Jesus Christ, with an incorruptible love. Boy, there's a difference. Opposed to a corruptible love? Lord, give me what I want. Look, I'm, I'm doing the work. You give me what I want. The prosperity gospel's full of this. That, that people teach. Oh, just commit your life to Christ and he'll give you everything you want. No, Paul said, inspired by the Spirit of God, love the Lord your God with an incorruptible love. One that's, that doesn't fade away if he puts you through a trial. If he takes you through difficult waters. It's an incorruptible love, and this is what we're after. James chapter 1, verse 12, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive a crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. That's heaven. And I promise there will be nobody in heaven who doesn't love the Lord. I, I can assure you of that. There will be no one in heaven who doesn't love the Lord. 
It is the statement of a believer. James chapter two, verse five, my beloved brethren, did not God choose, elect, we get the uh, Greek word electos from this, elect the poor of this world, that's spiritually, to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him. Did not God choose those who realized I have nothing? I don't have anything to offer you, God. Did not, is that not who he chose to give them riches of faith and riches of heirs of kingdoms and his promise to those who love him? Not promise for those who take from him. Peter himself said, 1 Peter 1, 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. It's the mark of a believer. We love God. We love Christ. 1 John 4, 19, we love him because he first loved us. So we got to get our love and perspective here, right? We didn't have the ability on our own to love the Lord. We're set apart because of our sin. And John says it so well. Oh Lord, we only love you because you first loved us. John knew that. And so should we. But what about Peter? Let's come back to our text here. What about Peter? Did he love the Lord? I think he did. But I think like us, his love had some holes in it. It, it, it wasn't that full commitment that the Lord wanted and wants out of us. We realize even the night before his death, Luke chapter 22, 33 through 34 records this. The Lord, Lord, with, uh, Lord with you, this is Peter speaking, Lord with you, I'm ready to go to both prison and death. There's Peter, right? Come on. Let's go, Lord. I'll go to prison with you, and I'll even die with you. How do you think the Lord responds to that? Way to go, Peter. You're going to be the captain. No, the Lord says, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will crow today. The rooster will not crow today until you've denied me three times that you do not know me. That night, Peter fell asleep when Jesus said you should pray because Satan's trying to sift you. He later cut off the ear of the high priest servant in a display of um, not lack, the lack of trusting the Lord and just responding without trusting God. He later that night, as we've mentioned, denied Christ vehemently. He called down curses from heaven if he knew him, just as the Lord predicted. But see, Peter too, just like us, had heard the commands of God. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So the love of Christ has a resulting action to it. If you love me, there'll be, there'll be a keeping of the things that I tell you. There's a result to your love for me. But Jesus loved Peter. And that's what comes ringing out of this text is Jesus loved Peter. And though Peter failed, Jesus knew how to restore him, just like he knows how to restore you and I when we fail. Because he really does love us completely. John 15, 9 Jesus says this, just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. That is an astounding text. Can I read it one more time to you? Just as the Father has loved me, 
I have also loved you. Can you just soak that in for just a minute? Jesus said, my Father in heaven has loved me in a particular way. This agape, unconditional, pure, sinless love that only God can love. That's how he's loved me, disciples. I'm here to tell you, as Jesus speaks, that's how I love you. And there's no greater demonstration of that than in our text this morning, how Jesus loves his own. Jesus, in his omniscience, believe me, he is fully omniscient. He knows all things. Peter even marks that several times. But Jesus, in his omniscience, knew the vital role Peter was gonna play in the birth of the church. He had chosen Peter for this. He chosen the one who would speak first and blow it. He chose that one to be the one who preached the first sermon. He chose him to magnify Jesus' name among all peoples. And he chose Peter to die a death of great suffering. We'll see that next week. And, and don't forget, though, though Peter denies Christ, Christ is not going to deny him. That's what's beautiful in this text. And it isn't a denial unto he doesn't exist. It isn't a denial that I don't believe in Christianity anymore. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a denial of self to put the things that I love aside and put Christ in the priority of what he desires. This is what the subject is about. So look at verse 15 with me. And then at the end, we'll ask some questions. So when they had finished breakfast, hmm, remember that was about Lord, we've been fishing all night. There's nothing. We've been doing everything on our own strength and we ain't coming up with Jack. Well, I know where the fish are. Throw your nets down on the other side. I, I, know, I know how to do this. Trust me. And, and here he comes in, slopping his way up onto the shore. The things he's been chasing all night... Christ gives to him in an instant. And then he gets up on shore and breakfast, which he's been trying to catch all night, is already cooking. So a little reminder, when they had finished all that God had given them, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my lambs. So here breakfast is done. Jesus refers to him, Simon, son of John. Those are usually not words that are followed by, hey, you're doing great. My mom used to ring out, Scott Wayne Menez, and I was hunting a hole somewhere. Because those three names together were not good. <laughs> she had caught on to something that I was on to. And most of the time when Jesus uses Simon's full name, there is usually a rebuke coming. But it's not so much the rebuke here, but as the restoration that is going on. Notice the choice of words that Jesus uses here. Very, very particular words, very particular verbs that they would have understood probably more than we do in our English language. Let me read them to you this way. Do you love agapeo me more than these? 
Peter's response, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Change the verb. A little bit of a change here going on. So do you agape me more than these? See, Jesus is wasting no time to go right after Peter's heart. This is what he does with you when you bend the knee to him. He will waste no time to come after your idols in your heart. And he does that with them. Remember, he had told, told Peter in Matthew 4.19, look, Peter, I'm going to make you not a fisher of fish. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. What are you about doing fishing for fish? Luke 16.13, he says, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Great point. Peter, who are you serving? Who are your allegiance to? Where is your unconditional love? See, Jesus is helping Peter search his heart. This is what the Bible does for us. This is what we must read. This is what we must counsel from the scriptures is it is effects on our heart. If we, like Pharisees, read it, we read it for the outside so that we may gain something from it. But when we study the scriptures, it wants to pierce our hearts. That's the goal of them. In Peter's first crack at the question, he says, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Phileo is the difference between the verbs is this. Agape is this unconditional, this love that is so expressed without any flaw, without deserving anything back. It is a love that is not based on anything that you're gonna get back from it. Peter, do you love me this way? Peter's answer is very, very clear that he understands who Jesus is. He says, you know, he uses a verb here, and it may not come across in the, in the English, but he uses a perfect tense, and so he's, this is the way you could read it. Lord, you know the past, you know the present, you know the future, you know all things. You know that I don't love you the way I should. I only have affections for you right now. See, that's, that's Peter being honest. He does not say, Lord, I love you. See, he knows what happened. Oh, Lord, I'll die for you. I'll go to prison with you. Hmm. Didn't quite happen. In fact, he fled. And when the opportunity to die or go to prison with Jesus came, he did not have that agape love that Jesus is asking about. He says, you know what I have. It is not that kind of love for you right now. I have an affectionate love for you. Phileo, a brotherly love. That's where my love is. See, Lord knows this. He's drawing this out of him. And Peter was broken now. He's, he's gone off and fished and the Lord gave him what he looked for all night in an instance. He realizes he's with Christ now again. He, he wants Christ to have control of all things. I think Peter's desire was for that. And Peter says, you, you know all people. You know what real love is. And I'm admitting to you, I don't have that. And I, and I think Jesus here accepts Peter's humble admission that his love is less than what it originally claimed to be. Therein we see ourselves, isn't it? Any Peters in here? Lord, I commit my life to you. But I gotta go get a bunch of stuff done. 
And it may not work out the way I think. And so I'm going to slip back, Lord. And, and I may slip away from you for a little bit. But know that I love you. See, Jesus sees this. And he sees Peter broken at this. And I, and I think that's why he says to him, the God of grace. I'm the God of grace. I can give you. He recommissions him and says, tend my lambs. Your Bible may say feed. It's a good word for what a shepherd does. Supply my lambs with food. Go give them what they need. Take care of vulnerable lambs that will die. And notice he has a very clear um, personal pronoun here, my sheep. Tend my lambs. He knew, he knew what Jesus said in John 10. They're my sheep and my sheep hear my voice and they know me and they follow me. And so you are to tend my lambs. You are to be an under-shepherd to me. You are to give them what they need just like I give it to you. This is the same instruction given to pastors today. This has not changed. Acts chapter 20, verse 28, be on guard for yourself and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. They're, they're, They're mine, Jesus tells us over and over in the scriptures. Pastors merely just care for something that doesn't belong to them. Verse 16, Jesus returns again with the same question. He says to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Jesus I think Jesus is pressing just a little further here. I think it's a divine effort to fully restore Peter. Peter, you denied me three times. I am going to restore you three times. It is such a loving act by our Lord, though it must have been tense. Can you imagine sitting on that fire? Everybody else ran away. Can you imagine the tension of yourself going, man, I did just what Peter did, but it didn't get recorded. (laughs) They all, the Bible says they all fled. Can you imagine how guys' heads are just buried? Like, I hope he doesn't bring my name up in the next phrase. And Peter's there eye to eye with the Savior. And God's after him. Once again, Jesus uses the verb agapeo, and Peter was unwilling to reply with it again. Yes, Lord, you know my love is less than that. It's phileo. It's a weaker love. It's a good love, Lord. I have a love for you. I, I jump out of boats. When you come around, I, I try to walk on water. I, you know, you, we know he loved him, Right? Peter says, in essence, in verse 16, Lord, you are sovereign. This word for no means absolute everything. It's perfect. There's nothing you don't know, Lord. And you already know that I have strong affections for you. And I have not lived up to what I said. And Jesus simply says, shepherd my sheep. Shepherd them. This time, Jesus uses a term called poimeno, It is a word we get for pastor. He says, pastor my flock. 
Do what they give to my flock what they need. Feed them, care for them, protect them, watch over them. I'm putting them in your care. And yet he's not perfect in his love. These expressions are pastoral oversight. But yet there is a connection to all of us here. Lord, I don't love you the way I should, but you still let me care for people. I mean, some of you, all of you have have fascinating jobs that God has put you in. And you may not think they're fascinating, but God does because he said, I want you to be that person. I want you in that job. I want you to share me there. I want to put you in a church that loves children, that loves missions, that loves to serve one another and be involved with one another. See, see, these things are not to just be left for leadership. Because the reason is we all fall into this, Lord, we have a phileo love for you most of the time. It's a little more heightened on Sunday when we sing of you and hear your word preached. But then on Monday, it seems to wane at times. See, the Lord knows this. And he doesn't give up. Look at verse 17, and he said to him the third time. Man, heads are buried around this fireplace. Simon, son of John, imagine when they heard that word Simon, he goes, good, he's still on Peter. You know, maybe you're sitting next to Peter and you're scooching just a little bit farther away. Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? Oops. Was there a mistake there? He changes the verb. Do you phileo me? Peter was grieved because this is getting old. (laughs) Is there anybody else to pick on around the fire here? Because the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, now listen how strong this gets. You know, not do you know, you know all things now. There's nothing outside the compass of your knowledge. You know that I, that I only phileo you. This is his response. See, he's grieved because the Lord changes the use of the verb, I think, here. I think that's what grieves him. Though there's a repetition going on, third time it happens, I think he grieved because now the Lord changes it. And Jesus now uses the verb that Peter used. And by doing this, Jesus was calling into question the lack of complete devotion Peter had for Christ. And I think this implication that Peter's life did not match up with Peter's words or deeds broke his heart when he heard this. Do you really just phileo me, Peter? And all Peter could do, all he could do in this sense now is he's standing before the God of creation, the God who suffered and died in his place. All he could do was appeal to Jesus' omniscience. He says, I can't hide anything from you, Lord. There's nothing you don't know. You know that my love is not what you're asking me to be. And Jesus accepts this third recognition of his failure. That's what's so amazing. Jesus accepts this. 
And he, he sees that, that Peter's broken and he graciously recommissions Peter and he says again to him, now go tend, go feed my sheep. And Peter's restoration is now complete. See, what I think is, Christ is not saying to you and I, hey, you need to agape me. I think what Christ is saying is, I know where you're at. But I also want you to know my goal, I'm not gonna leave you there. I want you to learn to love me with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and your might. And I don't want you to give up on this. Because your joy in this life is based on this, of your pursuit. See, you go back to verse 15 and he says, do you love me more than these? What are the these? Big pile of fish, fishing nets, boats, things that he knew he could do. He could do them without the help of God, so he would think. Do you love me more than these? Brothers and sisters, what is the these in your life? What is it? What's robbing you of merely just having phileo love versus an agape, striving for agape love for the Lord? See, what the graciousness of Jesus is he doesn't want Peter to stay there. And he's not saying, Peter, you can't do anything for me until you're perfect. You have imperfect pastors who pastor you here. He wants consistency out of our lives. And then he turns us to care for his people, his, his sheep that belong to him. And Peter went on to be that obedient servant. We know it in the Bible. And he has glitches, Galatians. He acts a little bit of hypocritical. Paul calls him on it. He confesses it, turns from those things. But he is the obedient servant. The Lord fulfills his commissioning here. He takes off. He preaches the first sermon to the church. 3,000 people get saved. Days later, he preaches again another four and another five. And the Bible says daily people were being added to the numbers of the church. God used Peter greatly to preach the gospel. He dies a death that no one wants to die. It's it's. It's pretty clear in the next text, we'll look at it next week, he's going to die. He's going to be led where he does not want to go. But he does it willingly. And I think as you study the life of Peter and even see how he responds in his own epistles, there's an agape love for his Savior. God brings him along, just like he brings us along. And, and so let me say this. If you want to love the Lord... You've got to die to self. You have to find these things in our life. What are those things? We all have them. They're, they're idols or things we kind of privately bow down to that, are, that get us upset when somebody touches them or messes with them. There are those things in your life that seem to have control over you and they could be tempers and attitudes and, and people and, and, and money and jobs. and It could be a million different things that if somebody touches them, they bother you. And Jesus said, drop your nets, Peter. Come with me. So I thought of just to end as we work our way to application with some, work our way to communion with some application 
just asked a few questions here. What kind of love do you have for Jesus? I, I don't know. I can't look into your hearts, but you can answer this question. Do you love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, and your mind? I really think that's an impossible statement on our own to do. It's the work of the Spirit that accomplishes that. Jesus said the next is his grade two. He says, do you love your neighbor? This is us here. Our na- us. Do you love one another? 2 Corinthians 5, we read that. There is a, there is a love of Christ that compels us. That's a good question, brothers and sisters. What is compelling you this morning? Love for self? A love for Jesus on Sunday? I think I want to be like Peter. I want to be in that position where the Lord says, Scott, quit worrying about everybody else. Do you love me? And you better think about your answer because I know all things. And I think it's just you and I getting real with the Lord and saying, oh Lord, you know what my day was like today, don't you? You know how many things I slid in front of you. You know how I got upset over this or somebody touched this sacred thing in my life and I didn't like it much. Lord, you know these things. But are you like Peter? Are you willing to sit there when he singles you out? Because he'll do it. Jesus, if you're, a, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, if you belong to him, he's going to single you out somewhere. It could be in a service like this. Or it could be in the quietness of your own home. Do you love me? Secondly, how does your love for Jesus affect his flock? Do you notice in the passage, every time the questions are asked and answered, he turns to the role in the church. How is your love for me going to affect those that you worship with? I think that's a very good question. Are you going to feed? Are you going to shepherd? Are you going to be in care? Are you going to give to others? Or what are you going to do? Or do we just take? Someone asked me the other day, they said, what's the problem with American church? I said, they're takers. All they do is take. Take, take, take. Jesus, you owe me this. The true church of Jesus Christ is so affected by the love of God that they give. The early church, it says that they took everything they had and they gave to one another so that no one was in need. I don't know what that looks like fully the 21st century. But I know the result of loving Jesus is there's a drive in you to give to others. To be a part of something that together accomplishes the will of God. That's how it affects us. And, and, and another effect that I think Peter learns so greatly 
about how the love of Jesus affects the flock. And he wrote this in, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. He says, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sin. And I think I read that verse for the very first time in the right attitude that I think Peter had. I think so time we read that verse, well, love covers a multitude of sins. There's a big lump underneath our carpet. And I'll just sweep it under the rug. Peter sat at a fire with Jesus speaking and singling him out. Who knew all things and said, Lord, you know all things. And he knows the love of Christ and how it can cover our sins. And he wants us to love one another so that that type of love covers one another. See, you can't say you love Jesus, but you gossip. And you destroy and bring down others. You can't say you love Jesus and not meet needs when you see or hear of them. There is a response that comes and, and there's people suffering or going through and sometimes you go, well, they deserve it. Yeah, well, so do you. See, Peter, Peter was by that now. He was by that. And when it came to his death, he says, you love Christ so much, we're gonna kill you like him. He says, just don't hang me upright, hang me upside down. And probably like Stephen, and just like Jesus before, he uttered the words, this is just my commentary, Lord, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Third, are you willing to follow an all-knowing chief shepherd? This is a difficult one. You say, well, the other two aren't easy. I go, I know, I had to wrestle with them all week. But this one is particularly hard, because here's an omission that that the Lord sees everything I do. And he knows our thoughts. We learned this in our home group this week, that he knows our thoughts before we think them. Are you willing to follow that person? Hebrews 4, 13, there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him, now listen to the sweetness of this, to, the, to him with whom we have to do. Are you willing to follow that savior? Not the Jesus that's all shiny and fun on Sunday, but the Jesus that wants to be in your life on Monday. The Jesus that wants to say, Scott, that's not what I'm asking you to do. You're right, Lord. You're right. Do you want to follow an all-knowing chief shepherd? Jesus said this, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. I think that's the difference in the American church today. There are a group of people within the church that said, Lord, I didn't deserve my salvation and I begin to give it to you and that's, that's the people who are now God is, I think, going to use because things aren't going to get easier for the church in America. Believe me, trust me. It's not going to get easier. But it's going to be those who said, Lord, I'll give up. I will follow you. I'll take up my cross. Peter does that. In fact, he dies on one. Father, as we enter into communion, Lord, my, my heart is mixed with emotions, Lord. I am so grateful, Jesus, that you died on the cross for us. And it's so, sometimes, Lord, we feel ourselves at this fire, Lord. 
We're, we're sitting around it, Lord. And even this morning, it, it may be you and I, Lord, that, that are just talking to one another. Others are shrinking back from the truth. They, they, they're moving away, and it's just a one-on-one right here now, Lord. Lord, that may happen this morning, or it may happen this week, Lord. Father, whenever it happens, we want to be sensitive to you, Lord. We know you love us. You did not save us to drown us. You did not save us to, to wipe us out or put too much on us, Lord, that we couldn't handle. So, Lord, when we feel you speaking to us through the word of God, may we, may we sit and listen. And when we respond, Lord, may we be honest. May we be like Peter who said, Lord, you know all things. You know my love falls short than what it really should be for what you've done for me. But I do love you. And Lord, you are so gracious to take people whose love is imperfect and you allow us to serve one another. So Lord, I pray this morning that you stir in this group's heart, Lord, today. Single us out. Do it right now, Lord. Single us out, each one of us. Do it during communion, Lord. Speak to us. Let the word of God shine in our hearts, Lord. We need to be separated for you. Marriage, raising children, being a child, Lord, submitting to parents, whatever it may be, Lord, being that employer or employee that serves the Lord. A man that, or a woman that people say there's something different about them. Lord, use us. We, we want to bring you glory. We're Peter's, Lord. We do love you. And we thank you that you're in our lives, Lord. Father, we pray that you would be glorified in all that we do here today and tomorrow and the next day. In Jesus' name, amen.